The reading is from Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 40. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Indeed, by faith, our ancestors received approval. By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain's. Through this, he received approval as righteous, God himself giving approval to his gifts. He died, but through his faith, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken so that he did not experience death, and he was not found because God had taken him. For it was attested before he was taken away that he had pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would approach him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, warned by God about events as yet unseen, respected the warning and built an ark to save his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir to the righteousness that is in accordance with faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to set out for a place that he was, going, he was to receive as an inheritance, and he set out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he stayed for a time in the land he had been promised, as in a foreign land, living in tents, as, does, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, he received power of procreation, even though he was too old, and Sarah herself was barren, because he considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one person, and this one as good as dead, descendants were born, as many as the stars of heaven, and as innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. All of these died in faith without having received the promises, but from a distance they saw and greeted them. They confessed that they were strangers and foreigners on the earth. For people who speak in this way make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of the land that they had left behind, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Indeed, he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when put to the test, offered up Isaac. He who had received the promises was ready to offer up his only son, of whom he had been told, It is through Isaac that descendants shall be named for you. He considered the fact that God is able to even to raise someone from the dead. And figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked blessings for the future on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave instructions about his burial. By faith, Moses was hidden by his parents for three months after his birth because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. 
By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called a son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to share ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered abuse suffered for the Christ to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking ahead to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, unafraid of the king's anger, for he persevered as though he saw him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as if it were dry land, but when the Egyptians attempted to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had received the spies in, in peace. And what more should I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched raging fire, escaped the edge of the sword, won strength out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead by resurrection. Others were tortured, refusing to accept release in order to obtain a better resurrection. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned to death. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, persecuted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. Yet all these, though they were condemned, commended for their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better so that they would not, apart from us, be made perfect. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So during the stewardship campaign time, we've been talking about this word abundance, which if you were to go like on uh, Wikipedia or something like that, you'd find that that word is kind of going out of use in common vernacular. The way that we typically talk, the word abundance isn't being used all that frequently anymore. Um, and that's just the way that words work sometimes. But it's also a, an image that we, as a culture, have kind of been moving towards this mindset of scarcity. And that's been particularly true in these past two years. Uh, these past two years have been absolutely devastating for many people uh, in, in, in so many different ways. And it's been so easy to just take that mindset of scarcity and run with it. To be able to say, there's not enough time, I don't have enough energy, there's not enough money, not enough of this, not enough of that, we just have too little. And as we've been talking about this stewardship time, which is like a really uncomfortable thing for me to talk about during this time personally, just letting you know that, uh, I've been wanting us to focus on abundance, that there is still abundance present that there is God's abundance, that God's abundance 
and the way that God uh, is present for us is something for us to take note of, something for us to recognize that in a time of scarcity, God is still a God of abundance. And so shifting our mentality from a mindset of scarcity to a mindset of abundance, we looked last week at an abundance of treasure. And we've been talking about how this treasure, which in Jesus' parables, Jesus refers to as the kingdom of God, or the kingdom of heaven, depending on which gospel you look at, is something worth investing in. And investment is not something we typically do in a time of scarcity. If you feel like you don't have enough of something, we typically don't invest if we, don't, if we feel like we don't have enough. Uh, uh, an investment is something we do out of our abundance. If we have a little bit extra, we can put it into, uh, into the stock market or into bonds or into a 401k or a Roth IRA or whatever form of investment uh, you would like to consider here. And so when we think about the kingdom of God as an investment, if we're going to invest in the kingdom of God, we have to shift our mindset from one of scarcity to one of abundance. Now, as we've been talking about investing in the kingdom of God, I think it's important to have a little bit of a definition of investment here for, you know, just to kind of get a baseline of what we're talking about. Investing is allocating a resource, typically money, but any kind of resource, allocating a resource with the expectation of a positive benefit or return in the future. That's, that's what investing is. Allocating a resource, so taking something that we have and putting it towards something else with the expectation of a future benefit. That's investing. Now, consider for a moment, that's literally what Christians do. That's like, that's like our whole thing, our whole shtick. That's what we do. We invest. We have resources that we acknowledge are provided by God, and we allocate them towards God's mission with the expectation of something greater, a greater return in the future. Eternal life, eternal love, eternal harmony, uh, goodness. And this investment, I will say, there are many different forms of it. For those of you who are members of the United Methodist Church, you took vows whenever you became a member that said, uh, where the pastor asked, will you support the church by your prayers, your presence, your gifts, your service, and your witness? When we're talking about investing in the mission of God and the kingdom of God, we're looking at these five different areas here. I don't know what that was, but five different areas here. Our prayers, our presence, our gifts, our service, and our witness. This is how we invest in the kingdom of God. And we invest these resources that we have into God's mission with the expectation of something greater in return. One of these such resources that uh, we don't often consider to be something we might use to invest is our faith. We don't really think of faith as a resource all that often. Even though we talk about faith as something that we have, we don't really think about investing it. And so today I want us to unpack the investment of faith. Faith is itself a form of investment. An investment is meant to be mutually beneficial for both parties. So say for a moment you invest in a startup company. 
that startup company benefits from your investment because they now have the funds to be able to go forward and do what they say they're going to do with the expectation that the investor will receive an ROI, a return on investment, and that that will be a mutually beneficial relationship. Faith works very much in the exact same way, a mutually beneficial relationship. Through faith, God accomplishes God's mission, so there's that benefit, uh, to spread love throughout the world, and through faith, we receive as Hebrews calls it, a higher reward. Through faith, God accomplishes God's mission. Through faith, we receive a higher reward. And so we see faith itself is an investment. But in order for faith to be our investment in the kingdom of God, we must first understand what faith is, and then we must be willing to do something about it. So I ask the question for just a moment, what is faith? Faith. And I ask this rhetorically just to consider for a moment, what is faith? If you're thinking about it, and you think about that word, which is a very chur churchy word, we don't use it all that often outside of the church, so it's kind of weird. And it's one of those words that the way that it's been translated over the years doesn't really click with us all that often. We talk about faith, but sometimes we miss the meaning of it. We often say that faith is belief. To believe in something. That's true, yes, but that's only a fraction of the definition. We also use the word trust when we're talking about faith. And once again, yes, but also once again, it does not cover it all. Faith is, and I love this definition, faith is a practical commitment. Think about that. Faith is a practical commitment. Practical in that it's something that we do, and a commitment being something that is long-standing, that we are devoted to. It's putting that belief, or that trust that we often ascribe to faith, putting that belief and trust into action. Doing something about it. It's great to believe, but it doesn't change a whole lot to believe. It's not until we start acting on what we believe, acting on our trust, that it begins to make a difference in the world. How do we know this? Well, we turn to that incredibly long passage that Lydia was so gracious to read for us this morning, also known as the Hall of Faith. Yes, it's a play off the whole Hall of Fame concept. The Hall of Faith. Hebrews 11 is an entire chapter dedicated to reviewing the lives of all of those who have preceded the, the audience of Hebrews and their faith. And it starts out with this definition. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Indeed, by faith, our ancestors received approval. By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. And then the author of Hebrews starts to go into four different sections of heroes of faith. And we start with the ancient ancestors. We have first Abel. Abel, the twin of, uh, or the, the brother of Cain, uh, the uh, son of Adam and Eve. If we go back to that Genesis story. And 
Cain and Abel, they both present their sacrifices, their offerings before God, and for reasons we can't really unpack during this time, God chooses Abel's sacrifice, and Cain gets extremely jealous and murders Abel. Uh, but even in all of this, it was Abel's faith that is recognized, Abel's faith to make a sacrifice. And then from Abel, we have Enoch. Enoch is somebody we don't talk nearly enough about, and that's because there are only like a handful of verses dedicated to this person, Enoch, in the book of Genesis, who was really old and all his life walked with God to the point where, where any other person would have died at their age, Enoch is whisked away to heaven and doesn't taste death by faith. And then we have Noah, and we have the whole story of the flood that we pretend is a nice, cute children's story, but is really a hugely traumatic event that we, for some reason, like to talk about in church, uh, where all of these people die by water except for this one family. But it was by faith that Noah is, uh, is the one whose family ends up carrying on the legacy of God. And then we get into the second section, which are the fathers of, uh, of the Judeo-Islamic uh, Judeo Christian faith. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we have a very long section on Abraham and then a little bit on Isaac and Jacob. And these three, once again, are commended for their faith. And then after these, we get into Moses and the people of Israel. And Rahab is thrown in there. Rahab's not one of those people that you would expect to be in a hall of fame kind of thing because, well, her occupation but each of these, Moses, the people of Israel, Rahab, are commended for their faith. And then we look at, and the author gets a, gets a little bit uh, too into it and says, How, should I go on? Let me tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, and Samuel. All of the prophets. We can keep on going here. All of these people who are being commended for their faith. But notice... Notice, if you go back and read through this section, uh, this Hebrews 11, 1 through 40, that each of them, their faith is proved by an action. Abel's sacrifice, Enoch's entire life, Noah building the ark, Abraham uh, and his uh, willingness to sacrifice Isaac, Moses' uh, willingness to depart from the palace of Pharaoh and live with the uh, people who are being oppressed. Rahab, who betrays her own country. Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, all of the prophets, they all, all of their faith is evidenced by an action in this hall of faith. In other words, saying, bringing back to that old passage in James, Show me your faith without works, and I, by my works, will show you my faith. Now, granted, we are not saved by our works, but our works are evidence of our faith. And our faith is our practical commitment. So, consider for just a moment that all of these people are such awesome people in the hall of faith for one particular reason. They're messy people. There's like, if you read through all of their stories, all of them have these like weird things that go on and these like really dark sides to them. Not a single one of them are perfect people. 
Moses killed a man. And like murder is pretty high up there on the whole no-no list. We have all of these people in here who have like really dark, messed up pasts. Rahab, who's the only uh, woman included in this list, is a prostitute. Can I say that word in church? It's in the Bible, so I guess so. Like they have really messy pasts. And God chooses them anyway. The only thing special about them and God's willingness to work through them is that they are people who act on their faith. Not just believe it, not just trust it, but act on their faith. And so these faith heroes are those who invested in the kingdom of God out of an abundance of faith. However, we're talking about an abundance of faith. There is one question that remains. How do we acquire an abundance of faith? How does one gain that? An abundance of faith, where does it come from? Does it grow? Are some people handed more than others? Is it just something you're born with? Are some people just better at faith than others? Where does an abundance of faith come from? An abundance of this practical commitment? Well, we look at faith as something to be nurtured. Like a plant, it does grow. Something to be nurtured. And we nurture it through these practices that we call spiritual disciplines. That's a fun little expression that was coined ages ago. Spiritual disciplines are these practices that we have in our life that are meant to enhance our faith. Things like prayer, worship, study, fellowship, acts of service, etc., etc. We have these spiritual disciplines, but we also nurture it in this beautifully ironic way simply by acting on faith. John Wesley, the founder of modern-day Methodism, was in like one of the darkest pits of his ministerial career. And he was at this point where he just felt like he couldn't go on because he felt like an imposter when he was preaching. That he was preaching about that, that these people should come to the faith, but he himself felt like he was struggling in his faith. And so he had a friend, a Moravian friend, and they're a fun little group of people, uh, named Peter Bowler. And Peter Bowler gives this advice to, to Wesley. Preach faith till you have it. And then, because you have it, you will preach faith. In other words, like any muscle or neural network in our bodies or brains, the more we use it, the stronger it becomes. We nurture faith by putting our faith into action. And so if we want to actually see this abundance of faith build up for it to be an investment on our part, an investment in the kingdom of God, then we must nurture it. And beautifully, we must act on it. We cannot wait around hoping that one day we will have enough faith for it to be an investment. We cannot keep just sitting around you know, we'll, come, we'll come sit in the pews on Sunday mornings. Maybe we'll even attend a Bible study or a Sunday school class or something like that and expect that it's just going to happen. No, this kind of faith, this abundant faith comes through our activity, comes through our participation, comes through us getting involved in it. Instead of just sitting around hoping that one day we will have faith, we need to start living out and acting on that faith in order to grow it into an abundance. And so that's my challenge for us today. 
to invest in the kingdom of God with an abundance of faith. What is faith? A practical commitment, much like an investment. It's mutually beneficial for both parties involved. And like investing, it requires acting on faith to build faith. Investing can be risky at times. It requires an act of faith to be willing to invest. Faith itself is that beautifully ironic source in which you have to have faith in order to invest and build faith. We have access to an abundance of faith. We need only pursue it as we invest into the kingdom of God, to act on it, to live it out, to make it be our whole being. And so I charge us today, let us live like those heroes of faith, knowing that God invests in messy people. We are messy people, my friends, but God is only asking for one thing, an abundance of faith from us that we invest into God's great kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So let us invest with an abundance of faith this season. Let us be committed to the mission of God through God's church by our faith. Let us find our assurance in an eternal and everlasting reward. And let us pray.